Our podcast today discusses nuclear power and civilian use. We invited David Hess, who is a policy analyst at the World Nuclear Association. Here, we will discuss topics such as the stigma behind nuclear energy, nuclear energy as a clean source, and its cost. Stay tuned! This is Marina Guimarães for Wikistrat. Our podcast discusses global events that might affect political scenarios across the globe. This week's topic is nuclear power and civilian use. And to talk about it, we invited David Hess. Mr. Hess, it's a policy analyst at World Nuclear Association. His work focuses on nuclear technology, climate change, and sustainable development. Mr. Hess, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure is mine, Marina. So when we talk about nuclear energy, there's a lot of stigma around it. Why is that? There are some fairly well-known incidents in the history of nuclear energy, which has, has led to this stigma. Some notable accidents which have taken place over the times. And, you know, it's it's not really a secret that uh, a lot of people also connect the technology to, to nuclear weapons as as well. I think, you know, over time, this is, has become sort of enshrined in the environmental movement, in much of the environmental movements uh, to date as, as being reasons to um, oppose the technology. And I think in an even larger view now, you sort of look at uh, the world and we we have sort of like these visions of which way we'd like the world to, to be headed. And for some people, they see sort of like a, a movement and, and a planet, which is based around an ideal of small technologies, kind of village life, etc. And they really don't sort of uh, necessarily see nuclear um, energy or technology fitting into that picture, which I think is a great shame because uh, the technology truly has a lot to offer. And it, it shouldn't really sort of be tied down uh, with these baggage of, of perceptions, which frankly, in a lot of cases, are sort of out of date by about 10, 20 or even 30 years. And when did the first idea of using nuclear energy as a clean source of energy come up? Uh, can you explain a little bit more about this? I mean, it's, it's not really well known that nuclear energy is actually like one of the, the youngest energy technologies we have. It was essentially conceived during uh, wartime, really. It was uh, sort of uh, the first nuclear energy project was kind of put together as an afterthought to the, uh, the Manhattan Project, which was the, you know, the process to create the, the first nuclear bomb. But even then, we knew that, that there are multiple different potential uses for this technology. You can use it for destruction if you want, but it can also be used as an abundant source of uh, reliable energy. So it's, it kind of uh, grew out of there. But that's something which really sort of dates back just to the 1940s. Uh, there might have been a little bit of earlier thoughts from, from nuclear physicists and scholars about using nuclear for energy purposes before that. But if you look back in history, I mean, uh, the first solar panel or something which used the sun's energy to create electricity was created over 100 years ago. We've had wind energy in different forms for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And of course, the Industrial Revolution, um, which started, gosh, I think if I get this right, you know, around about, no, I'm not even going to get the century right. <laughs> I want to say maybe, you know, earliest uses of like fossil fuel starting in the 16th century and then really exploding throughout sort of like the 19th and 20th century. So nuclear energy really is a, a a baby sort of in that regards. I mean, pretty much the entire development of nuclear energy to date. It started off in, in the, the 50s and 60s. It accelerated rapidly in Western countries throughout the 70s and 80s and sort of kind of plateaued. And then now more recently, you know, we've seen like a, a surge of nuclear development in newcomer countries, especially China, throughout Asia, and, and perhaps in the future, we'll also see it in, in Africa as well. So you talked about the future. 
So if we want to preserve the planet, is nuclear energy the way to do it? Is, is it the future of clean energy? Well, Marina, people like to look at these things as kind of like monoliths, as like questions which have single answers. As an analyst, I can't say that there is a, a single answer. I wouldn't describe nuclear as being the future of energy. There are a lot of uh, really good and improving energy technologies out there. We should certainly make use of them. But nuclear is certainly part of that solution. And frankly, it's, it's a very big part of that solution. If we in, um, invest in the, the new technologies now, which can come to market and sort of provide for non-conventional uses. So today, you know, nuclear power plants are used to predominantly generate electricity. That's essentially what they do. And they kind of come in, especially these days, they come in sort of like a one-size approach. You know, it's about gigawatt scale. It fits into a large established grid. They're very good at providing baseload electricity, although it can be flexible. And that's what nuclear power plants do. But, you know, as far as the, the decarbonization challenge is, is concerned, especially, it's not just enough to sort of decarbonize electricity. We also need to clean up heating and we need to sort of remove industrial emissions as well. And the, the technologies which are under development in the nuclear sector now, they really do sort of open up these new applications. So in the future, we might see nuclear reactors, which, you know, especially the small modular reactors, which can be sited alongside uh, industrial clusters and provide the electricity for that plant, but also the heat, which could go into the chemical processes for a chemical feedstock, for example. Similarly, there are sort of, you know, small uh, reactors again, or even some of the large ones, which could be adapted to supply heat to district heating networks. And it's a way to sort of keep people cold during the, the winter months, uh, which whilst we might uh, expect to get less severe uh, in a, a climate impacted world, will still be severe. It's very important that we have reliable sources of, of heating for that. But these are some of the most tractable problems which we currently face with climate change especially, you know, for the, the countries which are trying very hard to address that. There's some of the initiatives which there hasn't been so much progress on, to be frank. There's a lot of hope in electrification and increasing electrification, but it might not get us there. And then on the other side of things, it's easy to, especially for somebody like me, uh, perhaps to sort of get distracted by the developed world and sort of think about all the important uh, progress and changes which we're making there. But there's still a very large part of the world which is you know developing you know where people don't really enjoy perhaps the same quality of life as, as we do in western and developed countries and there you know th there's a huge emphasis on just getting you know cheap reliable power plants online as quickly as possible and, and you know we're seeing like big movements in, in lots of countries which are, are now trying to sort of ramp up their nuclear construction even if they haven't sort of started these programs before so so what we really see is kind of like a shift in this established kind of energy picture at least in the nuclear energy picture where you know nuclear technology has traditionally been the domain of elite technologically established club and a sort of slow sort of percolation of technology to emerging countries which are getting their governance together, getting their nuclear competencies together and are ready to begin their nuclear energy programs now. So you mentioned less developed countries and I'm curious about the cost. Which countries would be eligible for giving it a kick? There was a really good study which was produced by the United Nations Economic Commissions of Europe. It was looking at the use of nuclear fuel resources for sustainable development and it sort of identified a lot of emerging nuclear countries and sort of at the level they were at in terms of beginning a nuclear energy program. Uh, I mean, you asked like which countries? 
in theory, essentially all countries <laughs> have the right and, you know, to, to begin a nuclear energy uh, program, but it's, it's not an easy journey. It's actually a famously quite a complicated one, maybe sometimes too complicated. And it requires that, you know, countries uh, make progress on, on certain uh, key milestones. There is a process which is uh, coordinated by the International Atomic Energy Agency. It's called the Milestones Approach. And it lays down, I think it's 16 infrastructure areas that countries really have to sort of show significant progress on before they can start construction of their first reactors. But it's a milestone-based approach, right? So, you know, first they have to identify the desire for nuclear, then they need to work on these infrastructure, what they're called infrastructure issues and, and get to a certain level of competency. And then they're at a point where they can be in a begin a nuclear um, energy program. So, I mean, there has to be an, a strong need for nuclear and there has to be a political will to, to develop it. It's not just something that you can sort of, unlike other energy technologies, it's not just something you can say, mm, uh, okay, I think today I'm going to do nuclear. No, you know, you need to uh, do a fair bit of hard work uh, to get to the level where others, especially the international community, will trust you with the technology. So when we look at it in, in that terms, there's a, a few countries which are sort of high up the ladder, now rapidly approaching the point where they can start construction of their first reactor. And then there are others who's at the moment, essentially, their programs are kind of aspirational. They clearly still have a fair bit of work to do. So, you know, in terms of countries which have just begun their sort of nuclear energy programs or begun constru constructing their first reactors, the UAE started up their first nuclear power plant just last year after a program which essentially sort of took about 12 years from them to get from a, a policy statement to their first reactor operating. Belarus has started their first reactor as well. I'm not sure on the time frame. They have, both those countries have a few more reactors under development. Turkey is constructing its first nuclear power plant now. Bangladesh has started its first power plant. Egypt is, we believe, getting to the point where they're about to start construction of their first nuclear power plant and um, so on, so on. There are other countries which are kind of like further down that list and they're more aspirational and sort of achieving the necessary development to begin constructing their first reactors. But then is it an expensive way of doing clean energy? No, it's this perception I think is is out there that nuclear energy is expensive and as as a generalization it's it's wrong especially the countries these newcomer countries looking at developing nuclear energy now they're doing so because it is of its economic advantages the economics of energy is something which is determined by a lot of factors, um, but one of the things that it's, it's most affected by is location and, and the cost of alternatives. And in a lot of these countries, they might not have, for example, a significant hydropower resource. They might not have a lot of their own domestic coal uh, or gas resources, and, and the cost of um, energy can therefore be very expensive. Nuclear energy is a way to reduce or at least control these costs. And the, the way nuclear economics works is that you, you invest a significant amount of money up front but then you're sort of rewarded by low and stable operating costs into the future. And, and if, if fuel, especially, especially in fossil fuels, is an expensive issue for your country, then developing nuclear is a really good way to sort of bring those costs down. Then there's the, the sort of subsequent issue that it's not just about the cost of an individual technology when it comes to, your, say, your electricity mix. The consumer uh, pays for the, the entire system as a whole. And that system in most countries aims to provide like a re reliable electricity 365 days a year, however many years a century. We treat sort of outages and blackouts, very significant events, which we try to avoid because they have significant cost impacts themselves. And, and sometimes they can even cost uh, human lives. So look at uh, nuclear energy as part of a, a sort of a reliable energy mix 
especially if you look at it in terms of a decarbonized reliable energy mix, then we have international reports showing us that our nuclear energy is actually one of the, the least cost technologies for this purpose. And and even in a situation where, for example, you know you have wind and solar, they're dirt cheap, you can only install a certain amount of them before you start running into issues with like intermittency. Adding a flexible base load um, or base technology like nuclear energy can really help to control and reduce the overall costs of the energy system. So both in, in uh, developed countries and in developing countries, in many countries, nuclear energy is an extremely competitive option. And Mr. Has the last question. What about nuclear waste? Is there a safe way for disposal? Yeah, yeah, there is. It's, I mean, nuclear waste is just um, another one of those issues that gets used to sort of scare people about nuclear energy. But I really feel like most people just don't have a very good understanding of what nuclear waste really is. We already have solutions for nuclear waste. We have to because we produce a large quantity of it. And it's not just nuclear power plants I'm talking about here, but it's the many other applications of nuclear technology like medis medical um, uh, institutions and uh, industrial uses. Uh, for the, the low-level waste, essentially this gets buried just in sort of like uh, near-surface landfills, but to, to very high standards. There are some repositories already existing for intermediate-level waste as well. So, I mean, essentially the solution to, to nuclear waste, if you're trying to dispose of this stuff, is, is just to, to put it under the ground. And it shouldn't be that surprising because that's what we do with all waste. The question is, you know, to what standards um, do you use this? How sort of robust is your repository? How deep do you want to bury it? So high-level waste is what most people tend to be concerned about when they, they hear about nuclear energy. That overwhelmingly sort of consists of the leftover remains of or what we call used nuclear fuel, which has used up a certain amount of its fissionable energy and has become intensely radioactive as a result. Now, you have options, but at the end of the day, you do want to bury what you perceive as waste uh, deep underground in, in a highly secure uh, facility. The international nuclear community has known about this for years. Some countries have made very steady progress now in, in developing their repositories. And, and Finland is the, the country which is kind of currently leading the pack and, and should have its, its um, high-level waste repository open in a couple of years. And some other European countries are, are honestly not too far behind. It's when I said you have options, some countries also choose to uh, reprocess their used nuclear fuel. And this means that they extract um, the potential sort of reusable um, and useful elements, either for use in, in new fuel assemblies in reactors today, or sort of keeping it aside for use in, in future um, advanced reactor technologies. So, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing, really, because you know so much um, attention is sort of placed upon this issue, but it actually has so little damage or causes so little actual impact in in the real world. And I was lucky enough once to visit the French reprocessing facility, which essentially sort of accepts all the high-level waste from France's nuclear power plants. And, and at that time, you know, the, the sort of the remains of all the fuel which they had recycled up until that point in time was contained within a single room of like average dimensions. So, you know, it's the, the other point to, to sort of consider is that in terms of volume, there's really not very much of this stuff. And, and this is why there has never been sort of like an urgent need to sort of accelerate these um, high-level waste deep geological repositories because... Um, you know, the, the volumes are just not that great. So, you know, all the the high-level waste which has been produced from, say, the operation of a, a typical sort of power plant that's been operating for 40 years can be con 
contained pretty much inside a, a spent fuel pool as part of a plant itself, or perhaps sort of repackaged into canisters which sit on a parking lot um, outside. You know, and um, you can sort of see the pictures of these. And when, when you realise just how small the the volumes are which are required for disposal, you, you realise that there's sort of been no urgent um, need to sort of uh, to push for this. But there is, I think, a, a very important need to to be seen as having a, a sort of a, a functional solution for waste, so that uh, the international community understands that this is a sustainable activity that it does have long-term plans to make sure that there are no eventual environmental impacts from these materials and that's exactly how it should be. Well, thank you so much for joining us here at WikiStrat, Mr. Hess. This was a very interesting conversation. Thank you, Marina. My pleasure. I hope I told you stuff you didn't already know. Mm-hmm.